You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Call Me By Your Name. Professor Perlman. Thank you so much. So nice. Très confiant, I can show you around. That'd be great. Thank you. So what do you do around here? Read books. Transcribe music, swim at the river, go out at night. Sounds fun. All right, later. Just watch. This is how we'll say goodbye to us when the time comes. Later. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll have to put up with him for six long weeks. <laughs> Muscles are firm. Not a straight body in these statues. They're all curved sometimes impossibly curved, and so nonchalant, hence their ageless ambiguity, as if they're daring you to desire them. Oh, to see without my eyes The first time that you give Is there anything you don't know? Boundless by the time I cry You only knew how little I know about the things that matter. Build your walls around what things that matter? Why noise, what an awful sound. You know what things. Are you saying what I think you're saying? Shouldn't have said anything. Just pretend you never did. Alright everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Call Me By Your Name, and the story is as follows. It's the summer of 1983, and precocious 17-year-old Elio Perlman is spending the days with his family at their 17th century villa in Lombardy, Italy. He soon meets Oliver, a handsome doctoral student who's working as an intern for Elio's father. Amid the sun-drenched splendor of their surroundings, Elio and Oliver discover the heady beauty of a winketing desire over the course of a summer that will alter their lives forever. The film is starring Army Hammer, Timothy Chalamet, Michael Stuhlbarg, Amira Kazar, Esther, oh, Esther Garrel, and Victorie Dubois. It is directed by Luca Guanino and written by James Ivory. Joining me for this review, I have the returning Mr. Will Mavity. Call me by your name, and I'll call you by my Matt was doing this off air. He's he's turned Army Hammer into Batman, and it's all I can think about now. It's yeah, well, because when he's laying in bed with Elio, and he's like, you know, Army Hammer's got such a deep voice, so when he's like whispering him, it's like, "Call me by your name, and I'll call you." <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, I like I like that they acknowledge in the film that Army Hammer has kind of a weird voice. You know, there's a scene where uh, he's talking to Elio, and he's like, are you saying what I think you're saying? And then Elio's like, just like makes fun of his voice. (laughs) I was so glad somebody finally acknowledged that. It's a cool voice. I I, I love, like, the casual references to, like, you know, him just saying, later, you know, every time he leaves them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Will, we've been hearing about this film since January. This is, like, a pretty big deal to finally be seeing this movie. So, lay it on me. Tell me, what did you think of Call Me By Your Name? It's very good. It's not my number one of the year, which I I was hoping it would be, but it is very, very good. Um, It's 
you know, it, it's nice to have a gay love story that isn't about the social implications or controversy, you know, like, it is literally, it's just a love story, and I thought that was refreshing, um, that it doesn't really try to go any bigger than just this is the story between two people, and this is one boy growing up and learning all about love. Uh, it, it felt very, very universal. Yeah, because, uh, you know, the film does such a really great job of putting us into um, Elio's point of view and telling the story through his eyes. And as the lead actor in this movie, Timothy Chalamet, like, dude has arrived. Arrived with this movie. He is so good, particularly his last scene. He is incredible. Oh, God. That last scene is, one, one of my favorite shots of the film, and two, uh, probably one of the best acting jobs I've seen so far this year. Yeah. It's just incredible. Uh, The level of confidence that he has, the naturalism, and the overall conveyance of emotion that this kid is able to convey, uh, it it really, really, really blew me away. I I was not expecting what I got from him in this. And uh, to the point where he actually, like, overshadowed Army Hammer and Michael Stuhlbarg for me uh, in such a major, major way. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm a little surprised at the supporting actor buzz that either of them are getting. They're both very good, don't get me wrong, they just don't really seem like Oscar parts. Yeah, well, I mean, I think Army Hammer uh, rides the coattails of Timothy Chalamet to a nomination. Um, I think, I agree with you, I don't think there's much to the performance that screams, quote-unquote, performance. Um, I think it's more so the writing that, you know, if you have good writing and you put a somewhat decent actor into the role, they're going to look great, you know? And the director certainly helps with that, too, in terms of guiding the performance. But this isn't like anyone, like, doing a performance that just screams, give me an Oscar, I'm acting, you know what I mean? And I do think the writing far and away is the strongest aspect of the film. I thought Luca's direction is assured, but subdued yeah, it, it, yes and there were times when some of the camera work felt a little clunky you know i i think yeah. he did a very good job but i think the reason this film is so good is a the actors are very good and obviously guaganino had something to do with that uh but i i think james ivory's screenplay is just what makes this film incredible well it's very literary yeah it, it is there's so much symbolism i really liked uh the recurring use of the clocks that show up throughout the film, talking about how this time in your life is fleeting, the use of ice at the end and fire to indicate, you know, like, letting your emotions thaw. You know, oh. it, it is very, very literary and things like that. And then, I mean, uh, just even the opening credits, too, uh, with the sculptures of the men. Oh, and yeah. The way that's, like, edited, too. The opening and end credits this year, I, I have to say, you know, we... At our end of the year awards, we usually do best credits, and I can't imagine anything beating Call Me By Your Name for the one-two punch of those opening and closing credits. Because I completely agree with you on that. They are just... The opening credits remind me a lot of all things of To Kill a Mockingbird, which had some of my all-time favorite credits. And hmm. yeah, well, it's it's the same thing, you know? It's, it's kind of just these still images overlooking contents of someone's room. In this case, it's... Uh, this very 80s infused look at Greco-Roman art. 
And of course, that's that's another thing, the art history, the presence of art history throughout this film and all the discussions they had about Praxiteles and other great Greco-Roman artists really stood out to me. I completely agree with you on that. Yeah, um, I definitely think that um, James Ivory is probably heading for an Oscar for this film. I really do. And all the reasons that you just said there. Now, I want to also talk about, too, uh, a little bit about Luca Guadagnino and the work that he does on this, too, from a visual standpoint. Because I remember hearing a lot of people talk about how this film um, was very visually stimulating, you know, and that it conveyed a sense of warmth to it. Um, I I, I definitely got what everybody was saying with this. I don't think it's the most beautiful film I've ever seen. But if there's one thing I got to give to uh, Luca Guanino in this film, the the fact that the characters in a lot of scenes have very little clothing, the sun is always beating, there's high key lighting, you know, you see the beads of sweat during the summer in Italy. It really, really, really gave me that that sense, that feeling that there was this extreme uh, heat and intensity, not just within the weather, but also, of course, between the characters. And you felt that within the performances as well. So, like, while watching this movie, it was like, oh, my God, I could totally see how somebody could be, like, sexually stimulating just watching this movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. My girlfriend was watching this movie. Like, like you just turn to the person next to you and you're like, oh my God, this is so hot. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. And what's even more crazy is that in the Q&A I saw with the film, it rained for 20 days straight. Almost the entire shoot, it was raining. So they had to do a back and forth of, quick, get outside now, get cameras rolling. Or they had to fake it. And that, that is mm-hmm. very, very impressive. You know, that's a lot can be said for the DP and I guess Waganino's work as well, that they so convincingly made it seem like this was a land where it was always sunny and not somewhere that had was more reminiscent of London in winter. Yeah, no, they did a really, really great job with that here, I would say. Um, what did you think from a sound perspective? What did you think of like the songs and the music? I thought the sound mixing at times, and maybe it was just my screening, uh, weren't perfect. Uh, There were some ADR moments that didn't necessarily work. As far as the music, I loved it. Um, Ryuchi Sakamoto's music doesn't really work on its own for listening, but in the context of the film it does. And then um, Sufjan Stevens' two songs are amazing. I've been listening to them both nonstop since I saw the film, and honestly, I can't decide which I prefer. I think... In the film, Visions of Gideon has to be, you know, the best, just because that whole scene and the way the song is used are incredible. Yeah. No, yeah, I I think so. Um, I think it could be even heading towards an Oscar nomination. Oh, yeah. I I think there's certainly a chance that this film gets both songs nominated. Now, I believe Sony's bigger push just like with Lionsgate with La La Land last year, they've chosen a song, and I think their bigger push is Mysteries of Love. That's the one I've seen get its own FYC ads, and it's obviously the one they're using in all the marketing. So I think that's going to be their city of stars this year. And mm. I, I think there's I mean, I mean, think there's a decent chance that, you know, if, if this film does not end up winning Best Picture, but it's one that they clearly like, that this is one of the ways they reward it. You know, I think... It kind of reminds me of Philadelphia back in the day. You know, you, you give it an above-the-line nomination. This t- In this case, it would be adapted screenplay uh, instead of Tom Hanks for Philadelphia, and then you give it an original song win. 
And I think that, you know, because unless The Greatest Showman becomes a massive hit, and unless they really love Beauty and the Beast, or maybe they go for Coco's song, I don't know, I, th- I think this very easily could be our best song winner. You know, this film is unexpectedly uh, funny at times. Uh, there were moments of unexpected humor that I was not... <laughs> I, don't, I hate saying this word, but because I just said it like two times, but expecting, uh, you know, it's it's very uh, it's very well acted. The, the writing uh, has been praised. There's a lot of great things going for this. Dare I say it? I'm going to say it. I do think the film was a little overhyped for me. And I tried to pinpoint why exactly I felt that way after seeing the film. And I'll tell you two things. Uh, that really, really uh, kind of brought me back a little bit. I do think the film is very light on plot. Yes. I think that there's a lot going on with the characters, the relationship that they share with one another, and I think that there is a lot that you can read into that allows for you to put yourself into these characters, but there's not a lot of scene A leads to scene B, which by, you know, the character making this choice leads to scene C, and, you know, we just keep going through that sequence. There's a lot of montages, there's a lot of, we're going to cut to this moment here between these characters, and there's not so much in the way of conflict, Um, but like you were saying earlier, Will, that's because they're not, like, trying to do a story where their love is, like, set against, like, the backdrop of, uh, I don't know, like, the AIDS crisis, or it's not um, something where they have to hide, you know, their relationship for one another, although they do a little bit in this, but it's not, like, so damaging, and they don't have, like, a scene where um, Elio's parents, you know, really, really, like, let him have it because he's been having this relationship with, you know, this older man. In fact, they do quite the opposite, actually. Yeah. Uh, which is very, very surprising. And, Spoilers. Um, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll get to that in just a second here, too, because, uh, the, okay, so, like, light on plot. The second thing, though, is because I went into this hearing all this talk about Michael Stuhlbarg and how amazing he is and how he's our best supporting actor front runner, and he literally was barely in the movie at all. Background, a line here or there, not really showing up, not doing really anything. And then he has that monologue at the end. And I have to admit, the monologue is beautiful. The monologue is well said and well acted. And Stuhlbarg does a great job. It's not an all-timer for me. And it's not something that I thought was going to be like the most what was built up for me to be like the most incredible scene of the year. I, I just didn't it could not meet my expectations. I, yeah, I was expecting a little bit more from that monologue for sure. I actually felt the same way, you know, as much as I liked his performance in there, I did leave that moment feeling, oh, that's, that's it for all the hype I had for Stuhlberg. They don't even do it in one take. I thought they were going to do like one take push in, you know, for the whole thing. They, yeah. they actually do an edit at one point And I was just like, oh, you just completely broke my illusion of immersing me into this moment. I... I was very, 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 I don't want to say disappointed, but uh, underwhelmed uh, was the word I was looking for. And that's not to say, like I said, that's not to say I thought it was bad. It's not. He's great. And he does that monologue very, very well. It's just, like I said, it just could not meet those expectations I had. Yeah, and I I think maybe that was a little bit of what I felt. I went into it with such high expectations. And again, you know, I, I have a friend who's about ready to crucify me just because... I told him I really liked it, but it's not my number one of the year. And that was somehow 
altered in his perspective to I didn't like the film, which I think it's a very, very good film. You know, it's we're not doing our score yet, but I give it a high score. And it's but at the same time, I do as much as literary and character driven as it is. I do like a little bit more plot. Yeah. And that was also somewhere it was lacking for me. You know, like not every film needs to be plot driven. This is character driven, but I would have liked a little bit more. And then the editing, you know, you mentioned a cut there. The editing at times felt a little clunky for me. And some of the camera work, it felt very 60s, but that also meant that it felt a little clunky. Those are my only big complaints with the film. It's very good still. Yeah, you know, but it's very interesting to me, though, where like a film like Lady Bird, which we have earlier called out for being a very personal film that felt like it was a film that was made for us, you know, and everybody has that kind of like unique tie to that movie because there's something for like almost everybody to be able to latch onto in that movie. This film, I feel like is a lot more niche. And I think that is where you get the divide, you know, so you have, you have, um, you have people like us who are, you know, appreciating it for its different artistic values. Um, what it's saying in terms of uh, the plot of the story, like we were saying, the character's relationship, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about this from every single angle. And then there are going to be some people who are going to actually see themselves in these characters Maybe they've had a relationship like this. Maybe they've had a relationship that wasn't like this, but they got the same feeling. Maybe the movie is communicating to them on a subtextual sort of way that you, I, a bunch of other people cannot understand. You know, this film, for all intents and purposes, for other people, feels like it was made for them. And I think that's, at the end of the day, you know, I was trying to explain to someone why I like ladybird so much and i guess at the end of the day there is something i connected very personally to with my relationship with my own mother whereas this i haven't had a great passionate love story you haven't had life. like a steamy romance that against the backdrop well, it, but, of italy but, but, but will that, <laughs> I, come on no, man but i no but i mean in general i generally have trouble connecting with love stories just because and you know that's more on me but that doesn't speak to me in general because I haven't really had many just deep, passionate loves in my life. Yeah, I, I try I try to take myself out of the film and I just try to look at it as a film. And, you know, so, for exactly. me, this is so got... then I look at it for its technical merits and I look at it right. for its, you know, it's, its script and it's very good, but it doesn't have that extra thing that takes it up to like my number one of the year. Yeah, and, and, and like I said before, I, I, if it does that for you, great that's awesome like awesome 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 this is not a bad movie (laughs) like that's all that anybody needs to care about from will and i here is that we're basically saying this is not a terrible film so i don't want anyone to think that because we're not raving and because we're not saying it's our number one favorite film of the year that we're giving it bad review yeah you hear that zach i know you'll be listening to this yeah that's a friend of mine (laughs) keep it in well yeah zach I hope you're okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get into final thoughts, great out of 10, Oscar potential, uh, anything else you want to touch upon? No, I hit most of the uh, the ask. I thought, okay, so there's a couple people in the supporting cast. I thought the supporting cast felt very lifelike. That's something I want to give a shout out to. The girl who he has some romantic involvement with. Uh, the Mar- various Mar- people. Marzia? Mar- Marizia? I can't yeah. remember. 
<clears throat> the people yeah. who come over for dinner, you know, all those people felt very real. And I liked that. Um, the peach scene, I think we need to talk about that because that's like the most iconic image from the film. Um, good for them for going there. Although in, in the book, doesn't the character eat the peach? Uh, that's what I was told. Um, I will, I will say, I will say this about the peach scene. Um, uh, what do I say about the peach scene? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, here we go. It's better than the pie scene in American pie. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's much better. I mean, it's, it's like actually kind of erotic as opposed to. Like I was saying, you're definitely going to turn to somebody during this movie and go, oh, my God, this movie is so hot. <laughs> Did I tell you that Luca Guadagnino said that he tried? He's like, just to make sure you could actually do that before he directed the scene, he jacked off into a peach. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, he actually tried it. He just, he gives like an interview. I wouldn't ask my actors to do anything I wouldn't do. <laughs> I wouldn't do myself. So he actually jerked off into a peach. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, Will, I got to ask this question because this is something that gets brought up, I think, every time I discuss this film with somebody. Did the age difference bother you? Um, So on paper, no, because Army Hammer's character is like 24 and Chalamet's 17. I will say Army Hammer looks like he's in his 30s. So from just an and Chalamet looks very young. So from just a how it looks perspective, Hammer looks a lot older than his character is. So that was a little weird. But no, I mean, everything's legal. It didn't really bother me. Yeah, and for those where it does bother them, I, I can't fault them for feeling that way because of, like you said, how it looks. Chalamet looks like he's 14 freaking years old, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And Army Hammer, like like you were saying there, Will, he's supposed to be 24 years old. Uh, he definitely looks like he's somebody in his 30s, you know? Uh, so it, it, even if with context, you know, you could explain uh, – you know, the laws and you could explain the realities of the actor's age and what it is in the book and so on and so forth. I do think there are going to be those people who are just, they're just not going to be able to see past it no matter what. And that sucks because I think there's a lot of really great stuff to appreciate here and they're not allowing themselves to fully appreciate it, I feel like. But I also can't fault them for, you know, for feeling that way also. You know, I really, I can't. So I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, like I said, it's like kind of unavoidable when talking about this movie. Um, it doesn't bother me. In fact, I thought that the relationship between Elio and um, Oliver was so sweet that it's uh, probably, yeah, I think it's probably my favorite romance of the year. Yeah, I would I would, I would agree with that. Absolutely. Um, so with that said, I've got no other thoughts to say on the film. I'm giving the film an 8 out of 10. Um, I think it's one of the best films of the year. And Oscar potential, I'm going with, uh, well, you know, it's interesting because now we're like kind of deep in Oscar season now. So where before I would have said all of its prospects, I think right now I'll just say what I think I have it getting in. I have it getting in picture. I have Chalamet getting in. I have Army Hammer getting in, but not Michael Stuhlbarg. I have Best Adapted Screenplay getting in, and I also have it getting in for Best Original Song. So that's five nominations. But I do want to point out that uh, Best Editing is on the table. A dual supporting actor nomination is on the table. Best Director, uh, Luca Guadagnino, on the table. So, But I have it getting in five. 
I have I agree with literally everything you just said, including your rating out of ten. Cool. All right. Anything else? That's that's it. It's it's go see it. I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. Go see it. It's it's excellent. All right, Will. Where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast review. Call me by your name. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is ever acceptable. And we will see you all next time. I was hoping you'd do that. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.